Bob joins us for and leaves us uh, for a special. No, he's he's back. Okay, uh, this is kind of a special emergency is the wrong term. A sooner expected than usual legislative wrap up before the turnaround deadline. Um, we're coming to you Wednesday afternoon because, somewhat to everyone's surprise, the House and Senate have both wrapped up their work before tomorrow's turnaround deadline. Kind of giving the legislators, I think, an unexpected early day off. Uh, they. <laughs> will not be back until next Wednesday, the 5th. So what we're going to do with our team here is quickly uh, go over what has come through the first house on time, which means the bills that are kind of actually where they're supposed to be if they're going to be worked, and then talk a little bit about some of the bills that we know are going to be looked at after turnaround and some of the bills that might be looked at after turnaround. Uh, As always, we'll welcome your questions in the meantime and encourage you to be having conversations. If you get a chance over the long break, some of your legislators will be home. Great chance to talk to them. So um, why don't we just uh, start to today by looking at what the Senate did. Um, And I've kind of got a list here. I think I'll just kind of throw out the numbers and let those of you that followed most closely jump in with what happened. Uh, Senate, uh, the Senate uh, passed 39 to 1, Senate Bill 16, dealing with use of at-risk funds. Sure. So so this bill was, uh, and and really it it, it charges the state board with re-examining and redefining what qualified at-risk programs are that are uh, evidence-based programs that would be eligible for use of at-risk dollars that are appropriate by the legislature. It then goes on to give examples. The first example was added in last year in the Senate Bill, uh, in Senate Bill 423, that was communities and schools. Uh, It was requested by, and they have added in additionally, the Jobs for America's Graduates, JAGK program, as well as uh, and big girls. brothers and big boys sisters. And or, sorry, yeah, boys and girls clubs of, of of America of Kansas. So they're example programs. They're not funded program. This bill doesn't give any money. It just gives a defines programs that would be eligible expenses for at risk dollars that are appropriated within the school funding bill and charges the state board with looking at the way that they define what programs are eligible and providing that, that resource list. And, and in actually reading the bill, a dangerous thing to do from time to time, I, what I think I noticed is really the enumeration is in a section that was really written for the courts to say, you should count money we give mm-hmm. to these people. And so mm-hmm. to some extent, it's really, it, it almost implies if we're giving money to these districts, whether or not they're at risk risk weighted, it should be counted, but it also then says we should be, these are examples of things that you could spend at-risk money on, but again, doesn't require you to do so, doesn't add any money, so it's a bill that doesn't really seem to do a lot, um, but it doesn't seem to do any harm at this point. We just raised the concern about kind of the enumeration issue, but at this point it makes no real changes. Leah, there was a House bill to this end, but I don't believe it got worked, so the House could take this up. That's right. Okay. Second bill um, is uh, that the Senate passed 40, can't pass 40 to 1. There's only 40 <laughs> senators, so I'm going to have to check that. I'm guessing that was 39 to 1. Uh, 40, 40 to 0. 40 
Forty to zero. Thank you. Senate Bill 128, safety drills. And uh, Rob, again, I think you handled that. Uh, you know, I, we, we've all kind of bounced yeah. around these committees. Well, this, that's true. This one, of course, was was uh, what I, I believe I remember hearing one of the senators refer to as the Goldilocks uh, compromise. <laughs> and so uh, there there was a requirement for fire drills and tornado drills. And then last year in conference committee, we added an amendment that required nine uh, school safety drills on top of the uh, fire drill and uh, decreased a little bit the fire and tornado drills, but added nine safety drills. And this was, as they called the Goldilocks Amendment, just right, <laughs> a total of nine drills that would be a mixture of right. tornado drills once in the fall, once in the spring, fire drills uh, three times a year, and then, of course, the safety drills uh, that would go with that as well. So this is... It, it was noted. I will say the questions and comments were: these are minimums; they are not right. maximums. Right. Districts and buildings could certainly schedule additional drills as they felt necessary to have their staff and their students ready in the case of an emergency. But these will be minimum requirements, and was supported by the fire marshals, state fire marshals' office, superintendents, school boards, and the legislature as as the Senate has proven. So for those of you that are worried about over-drilling your students, it appears help is on the way. Of course, this still has to get through the House. Good thing to be talking to your House members about. I think it is important to understand where this all seemed to come about a year ago was the feeling that, well, we were requiring monthly fire drills and tornado drills, and many districts wanted to do safety drills. We ended up with a one-year proviso that, that both cut and added, so the net effect was higher. This really brings us back down now to back to once a month, actually even less than under current law, but with more local flexibility. Right. We, we had the most most drilled kids in the country. I that think. is fantastic. Every 10 days, apparently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then the next bill that passed the Senate today, 37 to nothing, is Senate Bill 7. And Leah, I think you handled that. I did. Uh, yes. That was 37 to 2, actually. 37 to 2. Senate Bill 7 was introduced by Senator Tom Hawk. Um, he was trying to uh, fix the sort of unintended consequence of the move of school board and city elections from spring to fall. Uh, that move happened a couple of years ago, but the statute, statute still says that school boards have to elect their officers, that's your president or your vice president, in July. So those of you who uh, serve on school boards know that you know your new board c- takes office in January, and then you might not elect your officers until July. For some of us, that's not a problem. For others, it is. So Senator Hawke's bill said, hey, if they can elect their leaders in January. They can elect them in January or July, pardon me, mm-hmm. or at a time to be determined by the local board at their organizational meeting. There was also an amendment introduced to, um, to allow districts to... Uh, change the voting plan by which they uh, vote for or elect school board members so that they do not have to do a special election for that. They could do a special election, a general election, or a primary. So it just gives a little more flexibility there. So that passed 37 to 2, and we assume it's on its way to the House. The House has not had this hearing before. So this is one, again, if you are concerned about this one way or the other, uh, it it will be presumed the House, this will give the House a 
Elections Committee something to do. Um, might note, under the theory that you never know what issue will crop up, that there ended up being a kind of a little mini debate in the Senate, yes. not directly related to this, but right. on kind of the issue of board vacancies. Anyone right. want to speak right. to that? Yes, um, Senator Tyson was concerned that this bill didn't didn't address the uh, the instances in, in which uh, a school board or, or even like another municipal body might have a person step down because they moved out of the area or whatever, and then the board or the city commission or the uh, the body um, appoints um, a person for the remainder of that unexpired term. Her concern was that then you know you've got a sitting body that's appointing someone who's not accountable to the voters was her rationale for that. So um, she also talked about this concern in reference to another bill, Senate Bill 59, that had to do with the Eudora Library Board. And so she would also like to see library boards be elected because they have taxing authority. So Senator Elaine Bowers, who heads the uh, Senate Elections Committee, said, you know, this is a great discussion for a bill next year in Senate elections. So so I think what, what that there, there are some legislators who have argued that we should have a system for filling municipal vacancies right. instead of the rest of the governing body make that choice, that it, well, the model that is sometimes thrown out is like if a legislator uh, steps down, right. precinct committee people do it, but those are, of course, partisan offices. These sure. are nonpartisan elections. Mm-hmm. But but because that whole issue of partisan election continues to be out there, this is one we certainly That's could right. see back, and I think boards need to be talking about this process. I guess the question comes down, is it more accountable to have the rest of the board who has been elected? Right. Are, are they are they less qualified than precinct committee people right. who are elected? <laughs> well, and, and 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 probably just to give you all a preview of the testimony that I would most likely draft <laughs> on this recommendation sure. would be that uh, precinct committee people usually uh, are only elected about thirty to forty percent of the open seats are filled True. Uh, by people that apply, and the way that you fill empty seats of a precinct committee is the elected individual that is chairing that county chooses individuals. So you remove from the body as a whole of elected officials to one individual that was not chosen by the electorate, but was by chosen by the members of, which usually only represent probably 30 to 40 percent of the entire body, most likely not the most representational of local elected. But great, that's great, just my interpretation. Great preview to think about. And again, you something... Tell a precinct committee that, man. That's right. So we'll need to think about this. Um, uh, two other things of minor, perhaps, note. The Senate did pass 40 to nothing, Senate Bill 199, which creates the AOK work program, basically adult learning program, really only deals with individuals who have not graduated high school or over 21, little direct impact on school districts, but as part of our getting getting people with credentials, uh, makes permanent, I think, what has been kind of a pilot program. And then also on the subject of, of a municipal election, Senate Bill 105, so non-controversial, it was on the consent calendar, passed 40 to nothing. That has to do with the, the date uh, mu- cities take office. We were watching it as a possible vehicle for other issues, but it appears to have sailed through. You bet. Um, okay, well, let's look then at what the House did uh, kind of yesterday and today before uh, potentially coming back. And I'm going to, again, just kind of go through my notes. Uh, there's a couple of these that are we're just tracking. We were watching Senate Bill 2147, which deals with the state use law. Only because school districts have to follow the state use law, we did not really testify uh, 
Um, uh, this extends the sunset date. It passed 123 to nothing. Uh, House Bill 2214 deals with the definition of school bus for motor fuel taxes. It passed 124 to nothing. Who was following that? Uh, I actually ended up sitting in on the committee that heard that. Uh, this was brought by the uh, superintendent of Central Heights, uh, I believe, and uh, was uh, an issue that we hadn't seen for a long time, but I guess uh, new interpretations uh, by somebody at the Department of Revenue uh, indicated that the current law states that school buses are passengers of 10 or more, and so would, in effect, usually be a actual school bus. But as districts have changed and their fleets have expanded to include suburbans or vans or even cars uh, or sedans as needed and would transport students in the most efficient way possible, but uh, when Central Heights was denied their reimbursement of fuel taxes for their uh, motor fuel tax related to those vehicles because they weren't school buses. They requested this bill be drafted. It moved out of the committee earlier this month and, and as you as you saw, passed uh, pretty handily today on action. So if you're getting fuel tax reimbursements for small buses in the future, I guess, thank Central Heights. Watch this as this follows <laughs> along. Probably their debate team. It, it, could, yeah. it could, could be. And that we presume will be headed to the Senate Tax Committee. We'll keep an eye on that. Another bill we're watching for some of our non-school board members and higher education. It's House Bill 2144. Dealt with several issues around community colleges. A little more controversial passed today, 84 to 40. Anyone want to fill us in on the, the history of that bill? Well, I can fill you on what happened today, and then we may want to talk a little bit more about it, because I wasn't in all of the committee hearings necessarily. But um, just kind of on the face, it requires that uh, community college courses be fully transparent to the Regents institutions. Uh, it says that there needs to be a link on your website about tuition, fees, cost per credit hour, your enrollment, your property tax revenues, a, a, a last five years of your mill levy and what that raised. So um, brought by Representative Christy Williams, who is um, a big fan of transparency. She has, you know, she talks about wanting to be able to find things easily on a website. And so uh, that's, that's, uh, where the discussion lay today as Representative Brenda Dietrich was carrying the bill. Right. So this bill had, I think it got pretty heavily amended yeah. to make it a little more acceptable to some people who had some problems with it. Is yeah, that right? I think, I think some amendments and some opportunities there. The, the, the bill was drafted really is concerned. Our, our community colleges exist in 19 of our counties in the right. state of Kansas, and a, a portion of their funding is derived through local property taxes. So the burden of community colleges while they receive some state funding, a large chunk of it comes through local property taxes. Butler County, being the home county of Representative Williams, being one of them for Butler Community College, uh, where it, to there, I believe it's to the tune of about 29 mills, uh, which she feels puts them at a disadvantage when a majority of the students that attend Butler County actually come from Sedgwick County, their neighboring right. county, and they don't pay any property taxes for the uses of that facility. Uh, Community colleges are allowed to charge a differing tuition for in-county students, mm-hmm. out-of-county students, and it was pointed out that a lot of the trouble actually goes back about 15 years ago. The legislature did away with a requirement that a county whose resident would leave and go to another county for community college would be required to provide a certain level of funding per credit hour. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the legislature did away with that. 
uh, about 12, 13 years ago, I think, if That's I remember correctly. Right, right, right. And um, and then, of course, because of that, that has shifted the burden on to the home county that hosts the, the community college. Especially, as we are often reminded by our higher education friends, the state has been has, has really held down state funding for higher education across the board. Uh, they're, they're still not back recovered from some cuts right. that have been imposed. And so this this is, I'm sure, a difficult issue uh, and one we're probably going to continue to hear hear about as we move forward. Um, okay, so for any community college viewers, you'll, you'll no doubt be watching that. A couple of other bills that passed today that we were watching, a little more directly affecting schools. Uh, House Bill 2346 deals with school-administered vision screenings. Anyone want to jump into that? Well, uh, basically what this would require is that school vision screenings be performed in preschool, kindergarten, grades 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, and 10. I believe now it's like every other year. Uh, and this would also uh, set up a commission to kind of advise and recommend changes and uh, updates, I guess, in standards and technologies for uh, vision screenings. And uh, it uh, got a pretty good vote in the in the House today, and uh, we'll now go to the Senate. So but that's, I think, one to kind of watch. It, it does affect requirements of school districts. It, there, I think there's a, a feeling it may be a little, a, a little stronger requirements, mm-hmm. but I think the consensus, at least to this point, is it's not a major departure from current law. We will be sharing information with you. This bill came up pretty late in the process, just actually had a hearing on Monday, uh, and so, uh, you know, there yeah. may be some unintended consequences. We'll We'll have to take a look at uh, as this presumably will move over to the Senate Mark, for consideration. A lot of the uh, the eleven uh, opposing votes arose from there was an attempt to amend out the uh, the commission. Yeah, the commission. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, saying that it was yet another layer of state government that we don't need, or you know that the legislature should not be in the business of promoting yet another unit of government. So that's where those 11 no votes came from. And, you know, I don't know if that will be a discussion point in this, you know, when it moves on. That amendment was was attempted in committee, and it was actually pretty close, uh, but it did not get on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then one more bill that did pass today, 124 to nothing, is House Bill 2360, (coughs) excuse me, dealing with criminal background checks. I actually may know more about that than anyone because I sat through that committee. So I'll explain, as I understand it, unless anyone has more current information or heard the debate, I think it's essentially in response to a change at the federal law dealing with who can re- when states can request background checks and apparently it is it is almost as simple as the new federal law says you have to write in your state law who is authorized to request mm-hmm. these and so this really involves primarily um, uh, in in our one of the proponents for example was the JAG, JAG-K program because they apparently have some volunteers who are not licensed teachers who might be working in schools who we want to have a background sure. check done on but it would not be clear that that this could be done without this legislation. So again, it appears pretty non-controversial and procedural, but we will continue to watch it. Um, Am I forgetting anything that moved through general orders and final action? (laughs) I don't think so. So let's just talk a moment about a couple things that we will be keeping an eye on. Um, uh, And then if anyone also wants to think about some things that maybe were a little bit of a surprise that didn't move on. Uh, There was a flurry of interest today over Senate Bill 22, which is the big tax cut bill that did come out of the House committee, is on general orders, 
was not debated but is an exempt bill, so it can certainly be come back to. Rob, I think you watched the final final action. We did testify, and it was rather substantially amended um, uh, on, in, by the committee in the House. You bet, yeah. They, they added in uh, two, two additional provisions, a 1% reduction on food sales tax from the state level, so the state rate would be from 6.5% to 5.5% on food items, and uh, then they added in also a provision that would bring Kansas sales tax rules in line with the recent Wayfair ruling. Uh, these both were proposed by Representative Mason, uh, and he kind of indicated, though, didn't have in the language specifically to tie them together, that they were kind of to offset each other. The amount of funds projected as increased revenue uh, by bringing us more in line with the Wayfair ruling and collecting internet sales tax, uh, internet transactions and the sales tax owed in the state of Kansas would be pretty similar, somewhere between 40 and 70 million, to the roughly 60 million dollars that would cost for a one cent reduction in food sales tax as amended. So the idea was that they would roughly offset each other and be revenue neutral in some ways to the uh, state general fund. The Probably the importance of the internet sales tax item is simply that as we do likely expect that area to grow, it was seen as an important, the, the, the Wayfair decision was seen as, as pretty critical to allowing states because so much sales are now shifting to things that, that we weren't able to tax, uh, that we are likely that, so long-term inflations are probably good, but again, I think there are some people who saw that as a way to maybe offset some of the other tax cuts in the bill, and that is, of course, the, the federal compliance windfall, decoupling, whatever you want to call it, that is really a mixture of both some individual income t- tax uh, uh, deductions that some higher income generally taxpayers lost because the federal change raising the standard deduction and a couple of business tax uh, provisions that also come out of the federal tax law changes that have an, uh, a net impact of approaching $200 million the first year. Governor uh, Kelly, for example, has, has been deeply skeptical. Many Democrats um, have, have are concerned that still not knowing how solid those numbers are still being in kind of a precarious situation and, as KSB pointed out, not yet having resolved the school finance Gannon case, the final step that was asked for. We're very concerned about that bill until we have some of those other questions resolved. We haven't gotten there yet. So this is a big one, and this is certainly one that many, particularly Republican leadership, uh, Senate President Wagle has really championed that this needs to be done for taxpayers, it needs to be done for the business climate of the state, but there, there's always, of course, uh, the, 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 uh, the budget implication side of that, uh, and the state has not really moved very far ahead yet in terms of budget, certainly has not resolved school finance. Before we talk about that, any other comments on Senate Bill? 22. 22. <laughs> 22. Would not tax your Netflix, by the way. Would not. Good, good. And, and again, it would almost seem, well, maybe we should, but I, I won't get it. As, as someone who, in recent of my taxes, actually did use the handy calculator to estimate how much out-of-sales tax I should have been paying and adding that to my liability, I do not expect to be negatively impacted by this because I'm trying to pay my fair share right now. That's a challenge for all the rest of you that have not uh, finished if you want to go through that process. And that's actually a good reminder. Yeah. The last amendment was, of course, to remove the uh-huh. compensating use tax 
baseline from our Kansas tax right. forms because, in theory, you would no longer have to calculate Correct. your compensation. And that's the point. I don't know how many people even do their taxes anymore, but there is a line yeah. where you are supposed to report any purchases you've made out of state that you have not paid sales tax on. And as I said, nobody, I guess except me, uh, <laughs> does that, but I won't even have that option anymore, I guess, in the future based on that. Uh, that The other thing this does, assuming it passes the House, is means that this will have to go to conference committee, or at least the Senate will have to consider these amendments as well before it would uh, get to Governor Kelly for some operation. Um, maybe this can lead us into just a quick talk about the other big thing we're all waiting on, of course, and that is the school finance debate. There was some discussion on that um, uh, in the Senate yesterday, yes, I guess it just was, in the discussion of Senate Bill 16, which is a school finance bill, became a vehicle for an amendment. You guys want to talk about that? Sure. Senator Hensley, the leader of the Senate Democrats, offered an amendment that would have, uh, in effect, been the first couple, the, the governor's proposed plan, but add an extra $80 million in year two. So we would have the, the, the increase next year plus the $90 million of interest increase. And then it would his plan would have added an extra $80 million in year two, which would be FY21. Uh, and those were the only years that we could appropriate dollars and and then kind of see where things would be after that and how the court would, would respond. So the the main conversation and opposition was that uh, they are working. They are working the process. The Senate Select did, of course, have a hearing on SB 44. Uh, they have been doing research on different issues and, and items that they think are of importance to fund. Uh, and and so they the Republican argument was... We've got to work the process. The processes allow the committee time to complete their work, and so we don't do this. And, and we assure you we will. We're on target. We're going to get something done. Nothing to worry $90 about. $90 million to right. the dime, I think, was the, yeah. to the quote. Penny. To the penny. That's yeah. right. So, so Well, we, and, and uh, I guess when the session started, uh, Governor Kelly uh, respectfully asked the legislature to have it done by, have school finance done by February 28th. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, still have and, one more day. And, uh, <laughs> and our attorney general. Uh, said maybe March 1st might be a good day to have it done, and I don't think that's going to happen either. No. Um, uh, again, we talked a little bit about this today. I don't think anyone is shocked we're not there yet, right. but but very clearly, I think we do need to remember that, uh, that, the, that the court has essentially told the legislature, you still have work to do, you have to do something, and it has to be more than what was approved last year, or you have to come up with some other alternative justification or whatever. So, we'll continue watching this, but I guess my suggestion is if you're talking with your legislators you know kind of remind them the clock is running where are we respectfully where are we in the process and i think one of the things that will be a major debate is partially the amount what can we afford you know, can we afford what the governor has laid out? Number two, the governor's essentially proposed the money in the base, mm -hmm. uh, although she is proposing some additional increases in special education as well. We anticipate there will be arguments over whether all the new money or any of the new money, what percent of the new money should go in the base, should go to special ed, or to go to other types of programs. So look for those debates to start happening after turnaround. We'll, of course, keep you informed. Um, guys, that's, that's what we... 
I guess no is likely to happen or has to happen. We want to make any comments on some of the things we've been following that didn't happen, that are, maybe are surprising, or that could still come back. There was uh, there were three bills that um, addressed bullying that were dis- uh, discussed in the House Ed and House K twelve Ed budget. Two specifically to do with bullying. Uh, procedures and complaint processes on the behalf of school boards, how, how those work. Should we be more transparent? How, you know, what can we do to address the fact that we've had policies and procedures for many years now and, and bullying still happens and, and, you know, according to some people has increased and, and, you know, is still, I think we can all acknowledge quite a problem, not only in schools, but uh, society wide. And then there was another bill, House Bill 2150, that purported to be anti-bullying, but it was really, it's a voucher bill saying that if, uh, as it's written now, you know, that if you report an incident of bullying, you can receive a voucher to go to another public school or to a private school. So um, those seem to be getting a little bit of momentum, particularly the two that had to do with uh, complaints and and policies, but um, didn't get voted out of either committee in time for turnaround. uh, We have heard sort of anecdotally that there may be an attempt to fashion a task force, something along the lines of last year's dyslexia task force, to maybe attempt to to, um, address this issue, and so we'll keep you posted on that as those developments do or do not occur. There are at least two bills that we know have been, the legislative term is often blessed, um, Mm -hmm. which means sending them uh, under the rules. A bill that is introduced by certain committees are are exempt from deadlines, or bills that are referred, no matter how briefly, uh, to a committee are considered blessed. Um, Two that we are watching that were sent to appropriations that we know of now, and there can be more. Um, We expect also potentially some in the Senate. Um, House Bill 2354 deals with the insurance liability of students in like high school apprenticeships or on the job training that was recommended just this week by the uh, Commerce uh, Labor and Economic Development Committee in the House. Uh, it was sent to appropriations where it presumably could be kept alive at House Bill 2361 which has to do with um, opt-in, opt-out on certain tests. Uh, the communities and schools test is what has really drawn a lot of interest. Uh, that um, pretty controversial bill, but it also was sent to appropriations, which means it will still be alive. Again, we will be carefully tracking the uh, uh, the, the minutes and records and, and to see whether what others may go there. Um, and there's also several bills that came out of committee that were simply left on, on general orders um, that will also be, be looked Looking at, um, for example, one dealing with municipal vacancies, mm-hmm. school board elections that came out of committee, pretty uncontroversial, never was worked on the floor. So we'll be tracking those and getting those uh, um, looked at uh, as we go forward. Uh, what am I missing? Any any other issues that you think are worth noting at this time? So I, probably just, you know, for our viewers that are out there to just kind of give them an idea, uh, tomorrow is a pro forma day, meaning there really won't be any action. It'll just be a a, a, a tick off the 90 clock. Um, Correct. So one more day down towards that goal of, of 90 days in session. Uh, they are on break March 1st through the 5th, meaning they will come back Wednesday the 6th, uh, though Looking Wednesday, pre- yes, yeah, yes, thank Looking you. preliminarily through the agendas that have been sent out by committee assistants, our presentation next Friday will also be brief, That's uh, exactly as right. there does not look to be a lot of activity scheduled currently uh, for the committees once they get back. 
it may change a little bit. Meetings on the call of the chair, sure. waiting, of course, to see what all activity and what bills. But probably the biggest thing I would comment on, in effect, we only saw about 35 bills come out of the House chamber and only about 27 come out of the Senate chamber. And so other than the ones that are exempted and could still come out of a, a, a chamber of origin, they didn't send a lot of work over to their fellow uh, legislators Correct. to do over the course of the next five weeks. And that's probably, well, good, good, bad, or indifferent. It is important to note that there will only then be a couple of weeks. The second House deadline uh, is toward the end of March, and first adjournment is April 5th. There's a two-week period between the, the second House deadline set aside for conference committees and those things. So um, we, we things will have to start moving along to get toward first adjournment. I think really the critical issue is is in in the next basically five weeks, is the legislature going to resolve school finance so it is at least done in time where, I mean, the Supreme Court has set oral arguments for May, uh, and you can't really have oral arguments without briefings, and mm-hmm. so to, to have any chance of, of really meeting that deadline, the legislature has to come to some agreement. Um, if we don't see anything done by first adjournment, I think that will be the time to start getting a lot more concerned about what, what may ultimately happen. Um, so while you're right, I think next week's report will be uh, fairly, fairly limited. Uh, both the leaders on both sides have been making assurances that we are going to get to work. Chair of the House K-12 Committee was saying, oh, we, we, we will be working, we will be, you know, deliberations, hearings, but there, there has not been much in the way of alternative legislation proposed, so we haven't had a lot to tell you about formal proposals at this time. So I guess, last, last chance, anyone... No, I'm ready for the break. We're all, we're all we are all ready for the break. Uh, um, we I wish we I wish it was a truly a, a spring break instead of as cold as it is here. But uh, thank you for watching. Of course, if you have questions, let us know. If you have opportunities to talk to your legislators over the long break, great time to do so. And again, we will expect to have at least a short report a week from Friday, if nothing else, to look at the next week's calendar of things coming up, uh, and we'll keep you posted as we move forward. Thank you very much.